to our sermon for March 7th called The Forgiveness of Jesus for Our Hidden Conditions. First section, forgiveness is freeing. Nobody likes having a black mark on their record. When we come to Jesus, he has the power to clear our record and set us free from guilt's crippling bondage. Jay Leno was a longtime talk show host on The Tonight Show for over 20 years. Despite his fame, there was a niggling fault in his past. Once, when he was a student at Andover High School in Massachusetts, he was suspended for three days after burning rubber in the parking lot. However, the talk show host found a way to make amends after gaining prominence. He donated a quarter million dollars worth of Microsoft computer software in exchange for getting that black mark expunged from his high school record. In today's passage, we see forgiveness emphasized by the Lord Jesus in connection with a person's physical healing. However, how Jesus goes about it challenges the unbelief of some of the onlookers, exposing the need of those who were outwardly well. Next section, our pressing paralysis. What's got you blocked? In Mark 2, Jesus returns to Capernaum, which was to become the home base of operations for his ministry. And verse 1 says he had come home. It probably refers to the house of Peter and Andrew. The door apparently opened onto the street rather than a courtyard, so it seems to have been a modest, ordinary house. In Palestine, these often had flat roofs with an external stairway, so people could go up and enjoy some breeze in the cool of the evening. The roof even served as overflow sleeping quarters when needed. Anyway, word got out that Jesus was back in town, so any possibility that he might enjoy a quiet recuperation from a strenuous ministry tour was soon out the window. Mark 2.2 says, So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Do you get the picture? The crowd is pressing in filling the modest house, spilling out onto the street, jamming the thoroughfare. Everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say, including the skeptical Pharisees and scribes who have come to criticize this new upstart rabbi. Things were jam-packed, confined, constricted. There was practically no way for Jesus to move. The demands on him were mounting. Everybody wanted a piece of him. The stories of miraculous healings and exorcisms were circulating. Did we mention this is a hot climate? Many bodies jammed together, no modern sanitation, not a lot of water around for washing. It was probably just a bit stifling in Peter's home there that day. Have you been feeling pressed in upon lately? Are the demands increasing to the breaking point? What about the confinement associated with COVID and lockdown? Does the world seem like it is closed in upon you? Emails and text messages and demands fly at us from all angles. Sometimes the requests for our attention mount to the point they seem more than we can handle. Like Jesus, we are confined, hemmed in. And there in the front row are people who will be only too quick to criticize if we mess up and get something wrong. Responsibilities can multiply to the point it becomes immobilizing, we don't know where to start. Things have become unmanageable. Sometimes obstacles and pressures mount due to circumstances. Sometimes the challenge is more of a physical one. 
verses 3 to 4a. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to Jesus because of the crowd. Now, here's a physical challenge. Being paralyzed. Somehow the muscles and nerves weren't connecting and doing what they were supposed to. Movement was impossible. This man was dependent on others for help. At least he had some buddies who cared enough to carry him. For some with disabilities, their support circle shrinks as they're no longer able to even get to various meetings or parties they once enjoyed. And now, upon arrival, the little bed-carrying quartet discovers they can't even get near the one they've heard can do miracles. What's pressing in upon you, threatening to paralyze you? How are you feeling confined, debilitated, stuck? For some people, it's physical issues. These can be complicated by sin, unwise choices we made in the past, such as gluttony or sloth. For example, our North American fast food diet can be deleterious to our health, putting us at risk for diabetes, obesity, or other conditions. Then amongst young people, there's the pressure to look ideal, like a movie star, pushing youth into eating disorders like anorexia or bulimia. Sometimes it's more people issues than physical issues that cause us stress. There can be pressure to choose just the right college when we're not too sure what we want to do with our life. There's the pressure to have a good ratio on social media. That's the number of followers compared to the number of people we follow. Pressure from bullies who like to assert themselves at the expense of others. If others manipulate or shortchange us, we can start to feel boxed into a corner. Sometimes we bottle up anger or emotion until it explodes, impacting others. This past week, a man was found guilty of multiple counts of murder for driving a van into pedestrians on Young Street in Toronto a few years back. He's been diagnosed on the autism spectrum, but the judge ruled the man was well aware of what he was doing, and his medical condition cannot be used as a defense. Evil sprang into a deadly plan. Sin weighs on us, presses in upon us, and its effects can't be ignored. Many people deal with guilt by drowning it. Some drown it in alcohol and drug abuse. Besides deaths due to coronavirus, there's also in Canada an opioid crisis. Why are so many drinking and drugging themselves to death? We're trying to escape ourselves and drown the pangs of our own guilt. Marlon Brando was once young, trim, and handsome. Many girls dreamed of having him, but now he weighs over 400 pounds. He told someone, I'm sorry for all the harm I've done and for all the troubles I've brought to others in my life. I've never been a good parent or a good husband. I've been too busy with my own life to have time for others. Now I'm a guilty old man who's ashamed of the kind of life I've led. There's nothing left for me except eating, end quote trying to drown or cover over his guilt with food. Other people deal with guilt by denying it. As our society has become increasingly secular, it has lost respect for the authority of the Word of God, and that has led to a dangerous and destructive moral and spiritual chain reaction. If there is no authoritative Word of God, then there are no moral absolutes. If there are no moral absolutes, there are no ultimate standards of right and wrong. If there are no ultimate standards of right and wrong, then we can base our rules and standards on societal consensus. 
If we base our rules on societal consensus, then we can adjust them to our own shape and size. We can adjust them downward. We can live any way we want to. There's no such thing as genuine guilt before God. Guilt is just a nagging relic of Puritanism, a Victorian antique, a psychosis to be denied. But deep within us, our creator has hardwired a moral compass, something called conscience that testifies way down in our soul about what we've done, right or wrong. The guilt is really there. Some people deal with guilt by deflecting it. They blame other people for their failures and faults and shortcomings. They blame their parents or their environments. This technique goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. We read Genesis 3 this past Wednesday at prayer meeting and noted that's how the blame game begins. It's never my fault, is it? But sooner or later, all these techniques fail, drowning, denying, deflecting, and we find we can't escape the consequences of our own sinfulness and guilt. Jeremiah 2.22 says, Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. Guilt is the corrosion of the soul. How can we get rid of it? We can't drown it, deny it, or deflect it. We can only dissolve it in the blood of Jesus Christ. Next section. Faith beyond belief. Determination overdrive. So Jesus was standing there in Peter's house, crowd pressing in upon him, critics in their front row seats ready to jump on him for the slightest thing that went against their traditions. But wait, what's that noise? Bits of clay and mud and pebbles started to rain down about where Jesus was standing. Was the sky falling? Mark 2, 4 and 5. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. These Palestinian roofs were typically slabs of pre-baked clay laid across the beams that stretched from one wall to the opposite wall. After the tiles were set in place, a, a thin coating of clayey mud was applied over everything to stop the rain getting through. They didn't have to be concerned about snow load. So the paralytic's friends began to think outside the box. They went up the stairs on the outside and tore a hole about where Jesus was. It's not recorded what the homeowner, possibly Peter, thought about their solution. What a picture of faith this is, as the paralyzed man laying still on his mat is lowered on ropes inch by inch in total dependence until he's nose to nose with the Savior. Can't you just picture Jesus quipping, I'm so glad you dropped in. The text notes, when Jesus saw their faith, possibly meaning the faith of the paralytic as well as his carrier buddies, we're not sure, but what faith? Not just some theoretical belief, this faith has action built into it. Faith that picks the man and mat up and carries them up the road, bringing the man to Jesus. Faith that gets creative when a roadblock is encountered, the barrier of the crowd all around Jesus and even out into the street. Faith that digs through the roof material. Faith that entrusts their friend so obviously to the Lord, lowering him right there where he is. Do you want Jesus that badly? 
or would your faith have wimped out along the way? Seeing the crowd, would you have thrown up your hands and given up? Or would your faith persevere, get creative, and scrabble through the roof to get to him in whom is your hope? My wife has a good friend who is a female diving companion from some years back who we'll call M that lives in London. M had undergone chemotherapy before a dive at Tobermory that went relatively well until she got back on the boat. Suddenly, something between the, the bends and nitrogen levels and vitamin B12 deficiency set in. The, the deficiency was due to the chemo that she'd had earlier. She found herself paralyzed suddenly from the chest to her toes. She was airlifted to Hamilton and London hospitals undergoing hyperbaric treatment, but then spent about two months at Parkwood Hospital doing physiotherapy and occupational therapy. Over the time I've known her, I've been so impressed by the effort M has put into her recovery. Patty and I would visit her and find her on her exercise bike in the living room, coaxing an unresponsive leg back into motion. I'm happy to say M can now stand and get around the house and is back to cutting people's hair as she did before. She's not 100% yet, but continues to make progress through grit and determination. Does your faith have that quality of grit? like the friends ripping open the roof, like M refusing to give up. Jesus saw their faith, their intensity, their passion to come to him. Next section. The Savior's superpowers hold us for what we're hiding. What Jesus said next might surprise you. Like, isn't it obvious what the paralyzed man is there for? But that's not the approach the Savior takes. Verses 5 to 7. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus decides to leverage this incident for extra mileage. He sees the opportunity for value added, to take advantage of a physical healing, to make a point about who he is, to challenge his opponent's faulty presumptions and expose their ulterior motives. By the way, we're not saying that all physical ailments are the result of sin. Jesus specifically countered that in the matter of the man born blind in John 9. Yet there may have been a sin element in this case that was somehow linked to the man's paralysis. Perhaps there was some overwhelming guilt that manifested in nervous impairment. Whether that was the case or not, Jesus made sure to address the inner man before dealing with the outer muscles. Son, your sins are forgiven. This immediately sparked outrage in the religious types perched in the front row, ready to criticize. New Living Translation, verse 7 what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Precisely. But Jesus responds more subtly. Over the next moments, we see three of his superpowers, if you will, become evident. Superpower number one, knowing our thoughts. Verse eight. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Wouldn't that rattle them to realize he knew what they were thinking? 
On another occasion, Jesus predicted one of his closest disciples, Simon Peter, would deny him before the rooster crowed, and that came true, Mark 14.30. John 2.25 notes, He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. So superpower number one is Jesus knows our thoughts. Superpower number two, he has authority to forgive. Jesus' purpose in this interchange can be seen from verses 10 and 11. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. The words that you may know point to purpose, why he's doing it. He wants onlookers to realize he's more than just a miracle worker. He also has a solution for our guilt problem. Jesus truly has the authority, the right, the power on earth to forgive sins. How come? Well, because he is the perfect innocent lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, a propitiating sacrifice in our place. Of the cup at the Last Supper, he specifically said, Matthew 26, 28, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For many in our stead. Jesus has authority given to him by the Father, authority to judge and authority to forgive. Because he is both Son of God and Son of Man, he's taken our nature on himself, stood where we stand, shared our pains and sorrows. John 5, 27. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. In Jesus, we find forgiveness and freedom from guilt's bondage. John MacArthur outlines how completely God forgives repentant sinners. One, removes transgressions as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, 12. Two, casts sins behind his back, Isaiah 38, 17. Three, remembers sins no more, Isaiah 43, 25, Jeremiah 31, 34. Four, casts sins into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19. And five, nailed a certificate marked paid in full to the cross. So we read from Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. It is finished. Paid in full. Jesus' third superpower is physical healing. Verse 12. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus put so much emphasis on the issue of sins being forgiven that the actual healing of the man's body is almost anticlimactic. But... What a wonder. I expect the former paralytic and his four buddies had quite a time celebrating. Malachi 4.2 prophesied about the coming Messiah. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. 
The sheer power of the healing must have thrown Jesus' critics into consternation. How could such a healer be blaspheming? So Jesus uses a visible miracle, the healing of paralysis, to underscore an invisible reality, which was really far more profound and significant, his authority to provide forgiveness for sins. Last section, a clean slate. To reiterate, forgiveness is freeing. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, a posture of sincere and desperate dependence, he has the power to clear our record and set us free from guilt's crippling bondage. One night, so the story goes, Martin Luther went to sleep troubled about his sin. In a dream, he saw an angel standing by a blackboard and at the top of the board was Luther's name. The angel, chalk in hand, was listing all of Luther's sins and the list filled the blackboard. Luther shuddered in despair, feeling that his sins were so many that he could never be forgiven. But suddenly in his dream, he saw a pierced hand writing above the list these words, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, 1 John 1, 7. As Luther gazed in amazement, the blood flowed from the wounded hand and washed the record clean. Let's pray. Precious Lord, like the man on the mat, we come to you in need, most especially for forgiveness of our sin. There are many things we have done we ought not to have done, and there is much we have neglected to do that we should have done. You know it all. You know our hearts, our hesitancy, the, the obstacles to belief that trip us up. We lay it all before you and ask that you would raise us up, forgiven and free, empowered by your spirit to walk before you in fresh ways that please you and our Heavenly Father. Grant us gritty faith that just won't quit, along with full forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.